These are some of the most beautiful country lyrics you will ever hear. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your black tie affair. The last one to know, the last one to show. I was the last one you'd expect to see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne and I toasted you. Said, honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain. Because I've got friends in low places. Where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. And I'll be okay. And I'm not big on social graces. Think I'll slip on down to the oasis. Oh, I've got friends in low places. Can it get any better than that? This was a song that came out in my senior year, and I kid you not, I got cold chills all in my body right now. <laughs> I was from West Virginia, and all my friends lived on farms. I did not. I lived surrounded by farms, but man, this was our anthem. And man, especially if a girl broke our hearts, which happened very rarely, uh, but if they did, man, we would sing this song, and then as we've grown older, I just heard from one of my, my best friends uh, from junior high and high school, and and I mean, he, he I, I actually invited him today, and he couldn't make it over from West Virginia, but his name's Steve, and if he walked through this door, he'd have his cowboy hat on, and he he looks like Garth Brooks, and, and God help Jefferson County, West Virginia, he's running for county commissioner. Uh, but but man, I talked to him the other day, and it it just took me back. I cannot believe it. Uh, how you can, you can just feel it. But this song, this song, friends in low places. And the irony of all this is, you know, this is, again, this is, this was us. This is how I grew up. And um, and Pastor Melissa went off to fancy college to try to find a fancy man in a high place. And uh, she made one big mistake. She came home for a weekend in college and met me. So, and all my friends in low places. She actually gave Steve and my buddies like rules, like what they could do and couldn't do at our wedding. Uh, anyway, that's we're getting, we're getting way off topic. But I'm just fired up, man. Pastor Melissa put this series together, and uh, she picked this song because uh, she knew I wouldn't participate if, if she didn't. Uh, anyway. Uh, the writers of and Garth Brooks wrote some of his songs and, and some he did not. Uh, he didn't write this one, um, but the Wayne Blackwell and Earl Bud Lee wrote it, and uh, they came up with the title first. They were out one day for lunch and and, and everything else at this place called Tavern on the Row in Nashville. And again, God bless the people of Nashville who are going through uh, their recovery now from the terrible tornadoes. Um, but they were sitting there one afternoon, and as the day got late, uh, they realized that neither of them had money to pay their bill. Uh, one of them forgot their wallet, one of them just didn't have money. Um, and then um, it was Lee, Earl Bud Lee, who said, oh, don't worry, I've got friends in low places. And he was referring to somebody that worked in the kitchen, a kitchen helper. You know, so not the owner of the restaurant, not the chef, but just somebody that worked in the back. He says, I've got friends in low places. And they, they, they knew right away that they had a hit title. They just didn't know what they were going to use it for. And it was later that year, in 1989, is when they wrote it, that they were actually at a party, a black tie affair, uh, for a number one song that was being celebrated. Um, 
and uh, they actually started to have the song come together, and they wrote it out on napkins, and then they needed uh, someone that could sing both octaves or two different octaves, and they thought right away of Garth Brooks, and they got him involved, and, and he put it on his second album in 1990, and the rest is history. That term, Oasis, which we'll come back to here shortly, um, it, it, of course, is, is one of the reasons our our series is called The Oasis, is um, was added by guitarist Jim Garber, so, so Garber's guitarist added that. It's a real place in Kansas. It's a real restaurant in Kansas in his hometown. And so that's where we get Oasis from, or one of the places uh, that we get the Oasis from. Of course, they're using Oasis kind of in a in a bad place, and, and we'll get to that here in just a second. But we got friends in low places. Culturally, all across the world for that matter, in time, it's timeless. Humans have never really uh, celebrated lowly status. I mean, we all want friends in high places. Oh, you know, so-and-so. I'll have a friend in a high place if Steve is the county commissioner. He'll never win. Uh, but anyway, um, or there'll be issues if he does. Uh, but anyway, um, friends in high places, we all want. We all want somebody that can get us out of the jam just because of who they are. We all want somebody that can pay the bill because of how much they have. You know, we all want to make our way up our company ladder because we know the boss or the CEO. But we don't really celebrate lowly status. So this is one of the reasons that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. Jesus uh, has been hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And he's just been like kind of breaking all the social norms. And he ha Jesus has friends in low places, not to be cliche, but he really does all throughout uh, the gospel story. And Nicodemus has status. He's not just a Pharisee, but he's one of the leaders of the Pharisees. He's a religious leader in the Jewish um, uh, faith here in, in this time and place of the scriptures. And he also has money. He has resources. And so Nicodemus has everything that he wants. And so he comes to Jesus because he's curious, because he's seeking something about God that he doesn't already know. He's supposed to know it all. He's a Pharisee. But he does come at night. That's an important part of this story, not just because of the play on light and darkness, but he's coming at night, literally, so he won't be seen associating with somebody that associates with people in low places. This is Nicodemus' story. And so he comes to Jesus, one-on-one, -on -one, and he starts to ask some questions. And they start to go back and forth. And then Jesus answers, I assure you, unless someone is born again, born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus then asks, how is it possible for an adult to be born? So he asks a logical question. I've already been born. How, how can I be born again? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. 
And so they had this back and forth, one-on-one -on -one in the darkness of night. Someone with high status, and someone that hangs out with people in very low status. And they have this beautiful conversation about what it means to be born again. <coughs> Nicodemus had status. He had wealth. He had made it. He had arrived. He had everything he wanted. He had the means to do whatever it is he wanted to do, and he had the power and authority to do it. He was a Pharisee. Why in the world would he want to be reborn in any way, shape, or form and start all over? Why in the world would Nicodemus want to give all that power and authority and means and wealth and status and position away to start all over? Whether being reborn is, is literal or metaphorical, it doesn't matter. Why would he want to give all that up? He's a Pharisee, he has status, and he has wealth and means. And so it's logical that Nicodemus would push back a little bit here and have some conversations about why in the world would I want to be reborn? And so Nicodemus asked the questions uh, that you and I um, would want to ask as well. Because most of us in here, again, compared to most of the world, no matter what our struggles are, no matter what our status is, you know, we're a wealthy people. We know where we're going to get our clean drinking water this afternoon. That puts us above and at a higher status than most of the people in the world. Right, Scott Pruitt, who studies this stuff? All right? And so we have wealth, and we have status. We have jobs. We have families. We have um, certain things in our life that, that put us above and beyond the other people in life. And so this is a question not just for Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. This is for all of us, too, especially all of us, you and I, that, that know it all. And we've been there and done that. Why in the world would we want to start over? Why would we want to be reborn? Why would we want to drop everything and give our hearts over to Jesus, who's asking us to be reborn? What is it about this rebirth? It's very important uh, to think about today, because Jesus is a blessed. The only way. He uses words like that. Unless Dan is reborn. Unless Mike experiences rebirth. Unless Carol turns her heart over to Jesus. It's impossible. He uses words like that. There's no in between. And so it's questions that we want to know. According to John Wesley, and this is paraphrased to bring it into modern English, John Wesley wrote extensively about the new birth. He says things like, the new birth is the change wrought in the whole soul. The whole soul. And we're giving away our whole soul to Jesus. And a change of the Almighty Spirit of God. When it is renewed after the image of God. When the love of the world is changed into the love of God. If you think about how much it is we love our, our, love, we love our world. Whether it's a small circle or we... We see it in a broader term. We love it nonetheless. We love what we've accomplished and where we are unless we're willing to give that over to the love of God. That change from pride into humility, from passion into meekness, whereby the earthly, sensual, and devilish mind is turned into the mind which is in Christ. That's what it means to be reborn in the image of God. And he goes on to say, not only does Christ forgive us 
for past sins. So not only are we justified, and so we claim our, we claim the grace of God through justification, being made right with God because Jesus died for our sins. We accept that. But not only are we justified and forgiven for our past sins when we accept Him as our Savior, He also gives us new life. He also sanctifies us. New life to live differently. Not only does Christ deal with the guilt of our sins, but He also deals with the root problem that causes us to sin. And in Wesley's scheme, new birth is the beginning of the holy life or sanctification. In the beginning of sanctification. Rebirth is a total change that comes if we earnestly and sincerely believe that Christ died for our sins. I love how Wesley used to say when his moment, his Aldersgate moment, had happened on Aldersgate Street, where his, he felt his heart strangely warmed. It was even after he knew he knew it all. He was already a priest. He had already studied the scriptures his whole life long. He learned to read by reading the Bible. But something was off in him into his adult years, and it was that moment on Honors gate where he was he was hearing and, and reading and praying and hearing um, Luther's notes on the book of Romans and he felt his heart strangely warmed and he felt like um, a new, a born-again moment. As he said the words, I finally realized that Jesus died for me personally. My sins are forgiven. Even my sins are forgiven. And so when you and I realize that, we have this moment, not just of forgiveness, of justification, but a new life beginning in us through the Spirit of Jesus the Christ. This is what Nicodemus was asking about. This is maybe why Nicodemus was a little bit hesitant. Do I have to give up all this status for a brand new life in Jesus? Well, that seed that was planted there, it must have stuck because it continues to grow in him. And that all works in different rates and speeds for all of us. And it does so for Nicodemus as well. We're not sanctified in an instant. Some people are. Carol was. She was made holy and perfect in a moment. Right, Carol? I knew I was going to get you one at one time. But that's not how it works for all of us. You don't have to remember a certain date in your life. December 12, 1918, Joe. Uh, you don't have to remember your date of, of professing Jesus. Some people do. Some people have that mountain-type experience. I'm getting I digress. Nicodemus did. It's a gradual thing for Nicodemus. And if it's gradual enough, it's okay, too. We later see Nicodemus again come on the scene uh, when Jesus is getting into some hot water for who he's hanging out with, and not just hanging out with low people on the low status but also on the wrong days. He's hanging out, teaching, healing on the Sabbath. So he's getting into some trouble. And they actually are sending people out to arrest him. The Pharisees say, send the guards to go get this guy. And uh, they go out to try to get Jesus. And, and they, they're just kind of amazed by him. They leave him alone. They come back and report. The Pharisee leaders say, hey, where is Jesus? I thought we said they arrest him. And they're like, man, this dude is, he might be. A couple of the guards said. And then Nicodemus comes back onto the scene here as he's talking to his Pharisaic brothers. And he defends Jesus. Nicodemus says, Our law doesn't judge someone without first hearing him and learning what he is doing. Does it? 
And so not exactly a big profession of faith in Jesus, but enough to get the Pharisees to, to calm down for a moment here in the middle of this gospel. And so you can see that Nicodemus has taken these words and it's, something is moving in him. We're actually going to see Nicodemus at the end of the story as he's one of the ones that comes and helps with the burial of Jesus. We're going to see his means and wealth come into play as he brought a mixture of myrrh and alloy, <coughs> nearly 75 pounds in all the scriptures tell us, which means it ain't cheap. He's got money. And so maybe he's come full circle by that time. He's there to help with the burial of Jesus, or at least the preparation of the body. Nicodemus and this conversation about new birth. Hanging out with Jesus, a friend of people in low places. So what's the point of all this? The oasis in the country song that Garth Brooks made, Garth Brooks made famous has that beautiful line, the oasis, Come on down to the oasis where the whiskey drowns and the beer chases my blues away. Maybe you've been there and done that. Maybe you've tried that. Maybe you've tried to drink away or use some other kind of vice to, to get rid of your blues and your problems and your issues. We're not talking about having a glass of wine at dinner or toasting a champagne. We're talking about trying to drown your sorrows away like these authors of this song. The oasis is never where the whiskey drowns and beer chases the blues away. The oasis is Jesus the Christ, the living water. Amen? Amen. And just as Nicodemus couldn't find what he was looking for in status and wealth and his position among the Pharisees, we find our rebirth in Jesus the Christ who offers the invitation to us wherever we are and is never surprised when we accept and we show up. This passage of Nicodemus and Jesus, the story of Nicodemus going forward, is an invitation for us, for you and I. Regardless of where we are on our faith journey, where we've been, where we might be going tomorrow, but today is to, to acknowledge this oasis, in the wilderness of where we find ourselves. The only thirst-quenching remedy there is is the living water in Jesus the Christ. The irony of this story of Nicodemus, when the night that he's defending Jesus, when he says we shouldn't judge, when he's doing that, He's actually, the last words that Jesus spoke that got him in trouble were, all who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out from within him. If anybody in this room today is thirsty, come to the living waters. Come to the oasis. And may God quench your thirst. And may God quench mine forevermore. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful that you came down so low that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, 
for those who believe in him that could have eternal life. We're thankful for Jesus who walked in the wilderness himself to identify with what we all go through in order that we can come to the living water when we're at our most thirsty. Help us to believe and take a drink, take a gulp of these scriptures of this Christ. Let this river of living water flow in and through and within us this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. 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 We'll pause now.